We've been covering the seven laws of the spiritual life and we've come to the seventh law today and we'll actually wrap it up uh, next week. But let's uh, review a little bit what we've covered so far. Do we remember what the first one was? It's pretty basic, isn't it? He's God and we're not. Two, God doesn't need us, but we desperately need Him. As I've stated before, there is nothing that we can bring to worshiping a God that makes Him more God. And even if we hold back our worship and our service, it does not decrease Him from being God. We desperately need Him. What God demands, He supplies. Isn't it wonderful that God equips us for every good work? Because again, we can't do it on our own. For what you seek, you find. Remember, we, we really brought home the point that if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. If you seek it, God will give it to you. Now let me ask you a question, a side note. Does this seem a little loud to you? It seems loud to me, but I just want to make sure because some people have been telling me that it's been coming across loud and sometimes when it's loud it's almost perceived that I might be upset or angry, but I'm not. Okay, I just want to let you know, so I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> Uh, number five, act of faith releases God's power. There's times in our lives we wonder, where is God? Why is nothing happening? Let me ask you, how active is your faith in it? We've got to apply what we learn. We've got to apply what we know. We have to step out in faith and serve God. If we just sit back and expect God to do everything and wonder why, where is the power of God? Well, it's at work in other people's lives. That's where it is. Act of faith releases God's power. Last week we looked at there is no growth without struggles. And we even kind of brought that up uh, Sunday night talking about facing the impossible. It's many times that God brings us through trying times and as we walk in obedience, we see the power of God at work, but we see the spiritual growth that He brings within us. And a lot of times, we are not going to know what we are capable, what our faith is made of, until it is put to the test. Many times. Remember we looked at Second Chronicles chapter 20 last week, where it said, God said, uh, pray, stand still, and praise Him before the victory ever happened. And as they prayed, and as they relied and stood still on the power of God, and as they started to praise and worship God, as they came over the mountain, the victory was already theirs. Many times, that's what God is calling us to do. You're not going to know what God can accomplish in and through you until you go through those times of trying. And today we're going to look at what God starts, He finishes. This law brings us all back to God as the author and finisher of our faith. Isn't that great? Isn't it great? First of all, we could do nothing to secure our salvation. And God is the one who gives us even the ability to believe that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. And when we put that little bit of knowledge and faith and say, yes, I believe that's true. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believed He lived a sinless life. I believed He went to the cross of Calvary and shed His blood and died and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I believe that. I accept that by faith. 
And when we accept that by faith, God then starts a powerful work within us. And what God starts, He finishes. The problem is we don't always like what God does in the process. That's why He's God and we're not. And so we have to understand that this law gives us hope in hard times and keeps us going when we'd rather quit. This law reminds us that in the end, everything we give up for the Lord, that seems like a, it doesn't seem like a sacrifice. There's times that we, you know, we, we determine, mm. well, once we give it, we have great joy. And in the end, we'll realize it's been worth it all. It's been worth it all. And when life tumbles in around us, and we can stand firm because we know this isn't it. The best is yet to come, isn't it? Yeah. The truth of the seventh law depends on a couple of important attributes of God. And first, we're going to look at that first, God is faithful. Isn't that encouraging? God is faithful. There's times that I'm not. There's times that, you know, I can be critical in my thinking and in my spirit. There's times that I just don't want to. I'm just being honest here. And you know what? I know I'm not alone there. I know I'm not. Because you know why? I'm just a person. I'm just a man. A flesh and uh, bones. Flesh and bones. That's a good one, huh? (laughs) Flesh and bones. And, and, And I realize that apart from the working of God in me, I can't accomplish anything. And there is times where the Spirit uh, is at work, but my flesh is just as actively working too. And there is that dichotomy, isn't there? There is that war that is within us. As I mentioned about the struggles last week, is sometimes once you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you really know what problems are now. Because you do have that struggle. Even the Apostle Paul mentions that a couple of times. That there is that war that is within us. But when we come to this understanding that He's God and we're not, and we put our faith and trust in God, we realize, we realize that He is faithful to complete what He started. In the end, all things in the universe will be seen to have served God's purposes. Right now, we, we scratch our heads sometimes and figure, God, how does this work? How are you going to get glory out of this? How is this for our good? I don't get it. You know, I was sharing with somebody uh, Wednesday night that I really do believe in Romans 8.28. For all things work to good for those who love the Lord, for those who are called according to His purposes. The problem is, is what is our view of good? We're the ones who sometimes determine what would be good for us. And God says, no it isn't. That won't be good. In fact, it does not align with my purposes. That's what we struggle with. is because we're the ones who determine what is good in our own mind, in our own thinking. God's ways are beyond our ways, aren't they? His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so sometimes, even though we don't see it, everything, even the tragedies of this life will fit into God's eternal plan. The fact that we cannot see it does not mean it's not true. It just simply means, again, He's God and we're not. Just because we don't see it does not mean it's not true. It will work out. God is faithful whether we see it or not. He is faithful whether we believe it or not. And second, God is good at uh, good all the time. 
Sooner or later his word will be proved true, his justice vindicated, and his wisdom will be made plain. I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and I didn't look it up in the Pew Bible, I'm sorry. But turn to Joshua chapter 21. Because when we understand that what God starts, He finishes, and that God is faithful and God is good all the time, all of God's promises will eventually be fulfilled. What is it? 127 in the Pew Bible, if you need that. Joshua chapter 21, please. And we're going to look at verses 43 through 45. This is going into the promised land here. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which He had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that He had sworn to their fathers. And not all, uh, excuse me, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. The word in this here is eventually is the key word. It's not there in the scripture right there, but eventually they went into the promised land, didn't they? It took them a long time to get there. Reason partly is because of their what? Their disobedience, right? Their lack of faith. Their lack of trust. Do you realize how many things God has held back from us because of our lack of faith and trust in Him? That He is not able to pour out His blessings upon us because we have not truly trusted and obeyed? God holds back sometimes until we get to that point where we're ready to enter into that promise that He has given us. And so here we see that the rest came only after long years of warfare. Over and over again they had to go into battle. That gets wearisome. The carnage. The anguish. The pain. It's only one battle that they went into that all they had to do was walk around the building, right? Around the city. But then they had to go truly into battle and see people die. Blood to be spilt. It's not a pretty sight. It's gruesome. But God understood that if we don't put those enemies to death, they are going to lead us astray. And there's so many times there's certain sins in our life that we have to put to death so that they don't lead us astray. And God here is, is told them that they had to go through all of this. The Jews didn't just walk in and take over the land from the Canaanites. It's not like they went to the, over the Jordan and said, We're here now. Thank you very much for keeping this occupied and tilling the ground. We'll take over now. Thank you very much. Goodbye. No. The Canaanites wanted their land, didn't they? And they were going to fight for it. And they did. And they had to be some fierce battles going on there. They had to fight. And so it is with you and I today. We must fight the good fight of faith. We need to put on the whole armor of God, don't we? 
many of us just get weary in the battle. Listen, if you just like fighting, you've got a problem, okay? I'll just be simple with that one, okay? I mean, but I mean, there is a fight that we have to fight. And you know, our fight is not with one another. Our fight is with those powers and principalities, aren't they? There's many people, even good God-fearing people, who, if they're not careful, who put their eyes upon themselves and what they desire can be used to the enemy. It's just plain and simple. Because when we get our eyes off of God, our eyes are on us and the circumstances of life. And if we're not careful, the enemy can get in. You know, that's why we need to put on that whole armor of God every day. Every day. Listen, that armor can be cumbersome at times. Sometimes we want to take a shortcut, don't we? Sometimes we just don't feel like putting it on. You know, when the heat of the battle is hot and sweaty, let me take the helmet off for a while. It's hot under there. And what happens? Our minds are vulnerable, aren't they? The enemy can come in with a thought that is perverse and wicked. Or just not so blatant, but very subtle. And next thing we know, we're going down a rabbit trail that we should never have gone. The list goes on. The Lord gave the land which he had sworn. Do you notice what he keeps saying here? The Lord gave to Israel all the land which he what? Had sworn. Past tense. He promised the fathers that this is your land. You will occupy it. Keeps going on. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. Another promise. Not only will you occupy this land, but you will be at rest. You see the promises of God over and over and over again. He's reiterating some of these things. And then look at verse 45. Now, uh, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All. What do we say about all? Oh, that's pitiful. Come on. Even Pastor Brian knows it. So, all means all and that's all that all means. Right? All came to pass. All the promises of God came to pass. What does that tell us today? All the promises of God will come to pass. Do you believe that? If we believe it, we need to start living it. That's what we have to understand. There is a battle that we're in. There are fights that we have to fight. We have to stand up for righteousness. We have to speak the truth in love. It does become wearisome. But we should be tired in the battle, not of the battle. And praise God, we're not fighting it alone. Amen? Not only do we have God who is with us, who goes before us, we have a body of believers, we have a church family that we can gather together, that can encourage us, to shore us up, and that can walk with us in this battle. We don't have to go it alone. That's what God is telling us here. The point is this, being a Christian does not exempt us from the problems of life. Coming to Christ solves some problems. Our sin is dealt with as far as the east is from the west, right? But once we do come to Christ, then problems really do start, don't they? It takes on a whole new thing, doesn't it? You know? You know, I, I'll tell you, you know something that I've been struggling with lately? And it's not a sin issue on my part, I don't believe. 
maybe judgmentalism, I guess. I am struggling with all the Facebook posts on supposedly Christians who, who promote alcohol. There's a former church member, that I, not of this church, that I just saw a post and that, oh, if you like wine, try this wine. You know, and it's just like, I know the Bible says thou shalt not drink. I know it doesn't say that. I understand that. Okay? I know the Bible says to be sober. Okay? I know somebody can have a drink and be sober. I get it. I understand. I've, I've done the arguments with people. Okay? I drank for 14 years of my young life and I realized nothing good came out of it. Okay? I understand that. And maybe that's part of my bent towards it, okay? But listen, okay, so you could have a drink and you could be sober. But by you promoting and saying, hey, drink this, there's other people who cannot just stop at one. There are other people who will take, oh, I'll try a glass of wine. Well, that glass comes in a bottle. That bottle is a glass. They drink the whole bottle. They can't stop. They're addicted to alcohol. And it causes strife in the family. I'm meeting with a couple that that's one of the biggest problems that they've had in their marriages because of alcohol. It's a lie from the pit of hell that if you drink alcohol, you're going to play volleyball on the beaches with all the beautiful people for the rest of your life. You're going to drive the great cars. You're going to ride the mechanical bulls and not fall off. You know, they're lying to you. It's out of the pit of hell. And I struggle with some of these things that we promote and say that is is good and this is fun. Even Christians. And I struggle with some of these things. I'll be honest with you. I've almost wanted to... You don't know how my fingers have been restrained from writing something on Facebook. I understand, guess what? God's at work in their lives too. And I'm praying for them. And I'm praying that them or their family or their friends, their lives are not ruined by alcohol. There's a lot of things that we think are just okay. It's not a big deal. But let me tell you, it is. Because sin always takes you a lot further than you ever expected to go. And just because you might not be having that problem, if you cause one of my little ones to stumble, it'd be better that you had a millstone tied around your neck. So it could be a lot of other things. It doesn't have to just be alcohol. We're not exempt from problems. We do have problems. We are now confronted with issues of life. The good news is that God fully intends to keep His promise to His children. And we must trust and obey. We must fight the good fight. We must stand up for righteousness. We must allow the Lord to complete His work in us. Let's go to a couple of applications here to apply this seventh law. We can be certain of our salvation. Now again, for some of those people who post all those things, and again, at least they post them. There's other people who are doing things who don't let anybody know, but God knows. You know. But uh, listen, if they've trusted Jesus Christ, and if you've trusted Jesus Christ, your faith is secure. Amen? Amen. Take your Bibles now and turn to 1 John chapter 5. Now, the guys in the Bible study should, reno- should know this uh, 
verse. 1 John 5.11 Guys, don't fail me. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in the Son. And he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then listen. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. This verse, this portion, John is telling us that we may know for certain that we have eternal life. Because why? Because of what we've done? No, because Jesus Christ, what He accomplished on the cross of Calvary. And if we believe, what must a man do to be saved? Believe, right? It's on the wall too, isn't it? You know, if you can read it. You know, I mean, it, believe. Believe what? Believe in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross of Calvary. If we put our faith and trust in that, we know for certain that we are saved until the day of Christ Jesus when God calls us home. There is an absolute. We should never, 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 let me say it again, never question our salvation because our salvation is not dependent upon us. It's dependent on Jesus Christ. And when we trust in Christ, He is utterly able to save to the uttermost. I will never lose my salvation. You will never lose your salvation. Now, we may hinder the work of God in our lives, but we can never, never be taken out of the family of God. Praise God. That is something we need to make sure that we know. There's some brothers and sisters in Christ who, who struggle with that doctrine. And all I joke around with them, I say, you better die on a good day. <laughs> day that you know you're saved. <laughs> you know? But yes, listen, you know what? If they truly have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, they're going to be in heaven. You know? The sad thing is, is when I am questioning whether I'm saved or not, I do not have the boldness to walk with Christ. Because I am wondering, have I done enough to keep my salvation? Am I in a right relationship with God? Now, we always need to examine our hearts, but if I couldn't do anything to get salvation, how can I do anything to keep it? That's based upon me. That's based upon works. And here, John is telling us here, listen... And this is the testimony. Who is this testimony based upon? On what God has accomplished. God who began a good work in you. Right? God has given us eternal life and this life is in the Son. And he who has the Son has life. Done deal. Done deal. Now listen, let's not cheapen the grace of God. You're thinking, well, I've got life and I'm all set. Well, praise the Lord, positionally we have that, don't we? But God has not called us home because He wants to use you and I for His glory. If, if we had no earthly value to God, He would have already taken us home. But God has left us here for a purpose. What? To tell other people of the goodness of God. What a great God. Think about this. He calls fallen human beings. He creates a new life within them, gives them the new heart, makes them right, justified, as we see the snow, white as snow. That's how God views us because of the blood of the Lamb. And He says, you know what? Now I want to use you to tell other people about me and what I can do. What a great God. And the neat thing is, this is still, I've shared this over and over again, 
I did nothing to earn my salvation. I can do nothing to keep my salvation. I am just a sinner saved by grace. And it's all of God. And if all I do is just say, okay, God, I will humbly walk with you and humbly do what you've already preordained for me to do, He still rewards and blesses me on top of that. Can you, can you fathom that? What a great God. We don't deserve any of it. That's what makes His grace so marvelous. I have written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me ask you, do you know for certain if you were to die right now that you'd be with Christ for all eternity? And if you were to stand before God and He says, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? God wants you to know for certain. He does not want you guessing. I love those two questions by D. James Kennedy. He has started to work in us. He wants us to know for certain. If you would, turn back to Philippians 1.6 where Pastor Brian read for us this morning. Not only can we be certain of our salvation, we can be confident of God's purposes for us. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is one of those long-range truths that helps us when we're down and discouraged. It's one of the greatest verses, I think, of encouragement in the Bible. Theologians use this uh, verse to defend the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. I think it really should be called the perseverance of God and the preservation of the saints. Because it's God who perseveres with us. You know? And, and uh, you know, and again, it clearly teaches us that what God starts, He finishes. Note three things from this verse. First, God takes the initiative in starting the good work. It says, He who began a good work in you. Listen, if God did not take the initiative, we never would have sought Him. Nobody seeks after God. The Bible tells us. So God has to take the initiative. Salvation always begins with God. Second, God takes personal responsibility for completing His work. God intends for all of His children to be conformed to the image of Christ. And He will not rest until that good work is completed. Now listen, that's a great news and there's bad news in that. The good news is that God isn't finished with us yet. There's great hope for our future. Right? The bad news is God isn't finished with us yet so God's not going to let us stay the way we are right now. Some of us are, I'm okay right now how I am. I don't want any more because usually that growing hurts. It costs us something. Growth sometimes is painful in the Christian life, isn't it? And some of us just, I just want to kind of, I want a very easy, easy Christianity. I just want to, you know, just slide on through into glory. You know? Fly under the radar. Nothing too dramatic. Nothing too, too bad. I just want to kind of... That's not Christianity. Jesus tells us we're going to be hated. We're going to be mocked. We're going to... You know, I mean, the list goes on. Jesus says when you go through various trials, guess what He's telling us? We're going to go through trials. And I've shared over and over again, F.B. Myers, 
He said that the Christian road is the toughest road there is. So every bump and pothole I come upon, I know I'm on the right road. It should not make us, you know, James says, what, what, don't think it's, you know, something's wrong when you fall into various trials. It's life. It happens. God doesn't allow us just to go through them because he's, He wants to be malicious and punitive. God allows those things in our lives because He wants to see our character grow. He wants us to, to grow. So here, this is what He says. He who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it. He's going to do that. He's starting this good work. It's good. And He's going to keep chipping away until we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you today, if you're in the muck and mire of personal defeat, let me tell you, you know what you can do? Rise up and walk because God's not finished with you yet. If you're here and you say, you know, but you don't know the sin that I've been in. God does. And God loves you and He cares for you. And He's saying, get up, confess those sins, make it right, let's get going again. Rise up and walk. Let's keep going. God is not done. Isn't that a wonderful truth? And third, God guarantees the outcome. He is so determined to make you like Jesus Christ that even our own backslide won't ultimately hinder all the works of God. You know, we can try. We can try to run. We can be like a Jonah. We can try everything we can. But God still fulfilled His purposes, didn't He? You know? And I think Jonah carried some scars of his disobedience. You know, once in a while, some of us guys, and Dennis has been doing this all winter, but some of us guys get together and we go fishing throughout the summer. Do you know, I've got to let you in on a little secret in case you didn't know this. Fish stink. <laughs> okay, that's just on the outside. I don't know what it must have smelt like being on the inside of a great fish. In his digestive system. You know, what does your digestive system do? It breaks down things. Then he was vomited up. Isn't that a beautiful picture? <laughs> You know, up on the shore. I don't think Jonah had to announce his coming. I think they could smell his coming. And I think they could see the visible signs of somebody who has been in literally the pit, if you will. I think they were so afraid of looking at Jonah and being disobedient to his message, that's why the whole city repented. If that's what God can do to somebody that quickly, very easily, what more could He do if we disobeyed totally? Man, I don't want to know. There's times that even our backsliding is never going to hinder God's accomplishment. Someday, you and I will stand before God as redeemed children, holy and blameless and complete. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Someday. I'm going to kind of cut this down a little bit, kind of go a little quicker. We can remain, remain calm even in the midst of all the struggles of life. In Genesis chapter 37 through 50, we have the story of Joseph. And Charles Spurgeon asks all these questions to come across this point about God being in control, God caring about every little detail of our lives. 
And he asks all these series of questions. He says, why did Jacob send his son Joseph to his brothers? Why did Joseph's brothers, why were they in a different place than what they were supposed to be? Why did the Ishmaelites come along just at that time? Why did Potiphar buy Joseph? Why did Potiphar's wife have some designs for Joseph? Why were the cupbearer and the baker in prison just at the time that Joseph was going to be in? Why did Pharaoh not remember his dream? And the list goes on. What he's trying to tell us here, the point is that Charles Spurgeon is trying to make, is that these seemingly unconnected events happened in such a way at such a time so Joseph would be in the right place at the right time to be the one who would preserve his family through the, uh, the famine in Canaan. Just so happened that all these things worked out just in, in order. Does that tell us that God is in control? Doesn't that show us that what might seem like random acts are not random at all? That God is completely in control? I like what Charles Spurgeon describes this, or he calls this the minutia of providence. <laughs> the minutia of providence. In other words, God is so concerned about what we might think are the little things of life. Many times we don't think God is concerned about the little things of life. Listen, if God takes the painstaking task of counting every hair on your head, He cares about the little things of life. He cares. He knows. Why does God care so much? Because what He starts, He finishes. He knows everything about your life and He knows what He wants to accomplish in your life. The little things and the big things. He knows them all. With the last few minutes, I want to read something out of a, a book Pastor Brian gave me. It was a good book. I've been reading it. Uh, it's by um, Paul David Tripp. It's called The uh, Dangerous Calling. It's uh, confronting the unique challenges of pastoral ministry. Believe it or not, pastors have challenges. And we're just sinners saved by grace who are growing in the grace of God too. I want to read this. There's a couple of portions here. Maturity is not merely something you do with your mind, although it is an important element of spiritual maturity. No, maturity is about how you live your life. It is possible to be theologically astute and be very immature. It's possible to be biblically literate and be in need of significant spiritual growth. Biblical maturity is never just about what you know. It's always about how grace has employed what you have come to know to transform the way you live. The huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is an accurate understanding of truth. Wisdom is understanding and living in light of how that truth applies to the situations and relationships of your daily life. Knowledge is an exercise of your brain. Wisdom is the commitment of your heart that leads to transformation of your life. I thought that was good because prior to that the pastor here, David Tripp Paul David Tripp he was talking about an issue in his own life he's a pastor 
gone through seminary, being used of God, many people would think that he's got it together. He's got good knowledge of all of these things. He had knowledge. But unfortunately, he didn't have wisdom in all areas. And he had an issue in his life. And it was with anger. See, he had, he had knowledge. He counseled other people. He, he preached well. But he still had an issue in his life that he hadn't dealt with. And he talks about this. God began the process. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you is faithful and just to get up to to finish it, right? To complete it. The process. I wasn't zapped by lightning. I didn't instantly become an unangry man. But now I was a man with eyes, ears, and a heart open. For the next few months were incredibly painful. It seemed that my anger was visible everywhere I looked. At times it seemed the pain was too great to bear. To bear. The pain was not pain of... Uh, excuse me. The pain was the pain of grace. God was making the anger that I had denied and protected to be like vomit in my mouth. I was in the middle of spiritual surgery. You see, the pain wasn't an indication that God had withdrawn His love and grace from me. No, the opposite was true. The pain was a clear indication of God's lavishing His love and grace on me. That's powerful, folks. That's powerful. God loves us so much that He is not going to let us stay the same. He wants to conform us into the image of His Son. He who has begun a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it. Sometimes, sometimes, surgery can be very painful. The healing process can be painful. And there's times that God needs to do spiritual surgery in our hearts and eradicate things out of our lives that are not healthy for us. And the process can be painful, but do not despise the process. Praise our God that He loves us so much that He's willing to take that cancer of sin out of our lives and replace it with His grace. Because when that grace takes root, things that we can accomplish for God's glory are amazing. Don't despise it. Cling to God. Look to God. Let us all live as children of God who thoroughly believe the promises of God and that one day when His work is complete in us, He will call us home to glory and we'll live with Him forever. But until then, let's allow His grace to work in our lives and as we so desperately need Him and we want His grace to work in our lives, let you and I be those channels of His grace into the lives of other people around us. Because what He has given us, He freely wants us to give back, right? Lord, thank You for this time.